Welcome to Life Connections. Tonight we're going to be talking about values. This came out of the last conversation where we were talking about competition and comparison and values is kind of a natural follow-up to that. So I thought I'd start out by talking about like what values are and where they come from. And some of the perspective that I've been thinking through is an individual perspective. How does a person come to have values? Where does that start? Because we grow up as children. We don't have any values when we start out. And so how do, how do people begin to learn values as they grow up and as they begin to understand who they are and come to some concept? We talked a little bit about identity, too, and, and come to some concept of who they are and what's meaningful to them. So I wanted to, to ask everybody, where do you think that initial values come from in your life? You know, when you're a young child and growing up, what type of things influence you to help you start thinking along the line of this is something I like or this is something I don't like? Amanda and I were talking about values some on the way over here, just kind of starting to think about the concept. And it seems to me like there's there's more immediate gratification type values, you know, hunger, passion, pleasure, pain, things that are very, very primal almost, but very immediate. And those can be very driving, I think, from a young age. Like, those are the first things you experience. You experience pain. You experience being fed. And I think those values are very compelling. And you might even almost say, like, if you look at things like the hierarchy of needs or whatever, like, you know, if your basic needs aren't being met, it's pretty hard to look past that. So maybe that's where it starts. But then it seems like going on from that, you end up with more complicated values, things like satisfaction or um, completion or peace in your life. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get to a point where you're focusing on those things that are important for those reasons if you can't get past things that make you feel good. Yeah, that's one of the things we were learning about in the foster care classes that we were in a few couple months back. It was about this cycle of needs, needs fulfillment, basically, that a young child, they, they have this need and they start crying, and then the need is either fulfilled, and then they go back around to having some um, positive feelings, or it's not met, and they go around to frustration, and then you, you get into this negative cycle. And I just think of how important it seems um, when you're growing up, of the, you know, the parents and the whole family that you're in, and... Some of those initial things that go on, I mean, they even talk about in the womb, about how things affect you in the womb, you know, and sounds, and your mother's voice, and your father's voice, and voices, you know, and it, are there irate voices, or are they soothing influences, and how that affects a person, you know, so that, so that actually values kind of becomes even how you're shaped from even before you're born, because you, because like you said, if you have certain values or certain things that you don't you don't ever set, have have satisfaction of as far as needs go and all that, you end up in a different loop. You know, we're actually trying to satisfy these needs, and you go down different paths. You know, because these things become. And that's what they're talking about in the foster care system too, about how kids they're just trying to find security, they're trying to find you know food to eat and things like that, and relationships. You know, people that they can connect with, and kids in that whole environment. Um, are really lacking a lot of the other skills and the other things that people learn as they grow up because they don't have these basic things. And so they're at, they're at a totally different level in their social development. I would suggest the need for love and for community and mutually giving relationships can be just as important as some of those physical needs. I, I see a lot of cases as a teacher where students don't have those emotional and spiritual needs that are being met and that's just as damaging as not having all the physical needs met I think there's a certain connection between 
like those basic needs and the process of getting those needs met really teaches us at a you know, young age how the more complex values and needs are all interact. So like the process of getting food or getting what you want, you know, whether things are withheld or, or given or the process that you go through to meet those really trains you a lot in how you meet other needs that you end up having down the road. I think it's interesting that we framed this as a conversation about values and we've focused the whole opening on needs. So I guess what I'm asking myself is, is there like a close relationship between the two that we, you know, immediately teased out by that being our thought process when we thought about values? Um, I think I tend to think of values as being things that we think are important. So the things that, you know, I care about or are important to me or I spend a lot of time on are the things that I value. And so maybe there is this implied relationship where if I have needs, it's going to be important to me to make sure those are met. I think there's a direct correlation between needs and values. I mean, if you look at, like, North Korea, it's held very tightly, and the people don't rise up and rebel against the dictator because he suppresses their basic needs. So their values never develop to the point of where democracy is something they desire when they're looking for their next plate of food. So it does it does seem like needs and values are hand in hand as far as how they develop and it seems like values are sequential. Like you can't develop more complex values without basic values and those basic values can't develop without basic needs being met. That's fascinating. And looking at myself personally, I would suggest that my a lot of your values are attached to some of your deepest emotions. And those emotions are often responded to your needs. So if you have a need that's not being met, then you tend to have the negative emotions that come from that need not being met, and then you may value that. That, that may be something you, you want to pursue, you value something you look for. Likewise, if you do have a need that has been met, and you have found a lot of fulfillment in a certain area, you can have very positive emotions with that, and that can also be something that you that you value and you cherish um, in a positive way as well as the ones that you might look for because you lack them. So we've talked about this sense of there being more complicated values perhaps, more primitive values maybe, and um, our perspective from the Western society certainly is that people in Korea maybe have more complex values suppressed because they don't have freedom and democracy. You know, that's our, our view of the situation perhaps. Um, but to me, it's interesting because that almost implies that you can compare values, right? Like there's a hierarchy or that some values, what, like if someone directed their life and someone's whole life was focused on, I want to build, I don't know, think of something silly, you know, like I want to draw silly pictures or build, you know, card houses. And it's interesting because you could look at some of those things and say, wow, they could do some really cool things. Like maybe he builds the biggest card tower ever, you know, or whatever. Someone else might look and say, well, he spent his whole life doing that. He could have invested in people, and all he did is build card towers. But now we're, we're comparing values, you know, so like meta values, almost, almost or something like that, which to me kind of begs a question that I think is really relevant, too. Like, is there such a thing as intrinsic value or a sense that something has value even if no one gives it value? Or because of intrinsic value or of some predetermined value system, some values are better or worse than others? Or is it literally just, you know, people have needs and then therefore what they care about 
becomes valuable, you know, based on the economy, effectively, or something like that. That might suggest that values that enhance a community and make a whole community stronger and have stronger relationships would be more valuable of, or of greater worth than, than values that are more self-focused. Well, yeah, it does almost seem like in regards to people in particular, there is kind of maybe some intrinsic value because, like, basically, you can see that the people have the intrinsic value. So, like, like Ben, like you were saying, basically things that, values that build up people are more intrinsically valuable than values that tear other people down. So I probably opened the can too wide and let out too many worms in one (laughs) one instant, so I apologize for that. But uh, I feel like what you're saying uh, to a degree is focusing on the community and the people, you know, and kind of then what I hear you saying out of that that I think makes a lot of sense to me is that we kind of do have a little bit of a, like a a starting point or a, a focus point when we look at emotions and health, like people and choices that are being made and things that are being valued, like does it result in healthier people, people that are well, people that are experiencing positive emotions as opposed to negative emotions. That gives us maybe a somewhat abstract, but at least, you know, a frame of reference that we can say, like, here's a um, perspective you can use to try to start to decide whether a value is going to help people or hurt people. And that, maybe that just sets aside the intrinsic value part of the conversation for now, because that's like a whole other thing we can dig into. I think you could probably divide values up into primal values that you can observe not just in humans but in any living species. I mean, you look at ants, how they bond together to form colonies. That's a value. Like, they do that to survive. I mean, you look at apes, monkeys, how they share things because it builds communities and they survive in communities. Like, that's an intrinsic value. That's a primal value. And then you have more learned values that we've developed as cultures. And I think it's really difficult to compare learned values, whereas primal values, and I would include love, community, sharing as primal values. Like, I feel like there is a set of values that we can say these are essential values that everybody should have as a baseline. And if you don't have those values, then you are deviant from the rest of humanity. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing to be a deviant from the rest of humanity, but you've departed from the baseline and it's not favorable for survival for you or the rest of humanity. I agree, but I also want to ask a question because I think it's just interesting to think about. Sometimes I feel like I think of values as being associated with choice. So I can see the perspective that ants value community but I also could see that you might say that ants don't really have values because they're sort of just biologically programmed to do that. You know, and this kind of goes into, you know, if you want to start to think about free will or do we actually make choices and all that, that's, you know, a whole other bag of stuff to talk about. But sometimes I think we have that perspective, and so I'm asking the question, like, is choice tied to value? Is it that I'm choosing one thing over another? I'm choosing to play basketball instead of writing a book. You know, so therefore I value activity and shooting hoops more than I value creating fiction or, you know, whatever the case may be. It sounds like that would almost be like if there's a spectrum of basic needs being primal and being like it's already so hard-coded into your you know, your existence that if you were to not value it, you'd be dead, you know, mm-hmm. to the level of 
Well, there's ways you can go, and depending on the cultural environment, social environment, some values may benefit you, some values may not benefit you or the community. And I think what you're saying that is maybe the more valuable question is where there's more choice. So we could say that there's values at all, you know, at all levels, but the ones that we're mostly concerned about are the ones that we have more choice on. I could really see that because I could see how a human that's reduced to a very primitive state where their needs aren't being met, you know, maybe they've been tortured, they're starving, might not appear to have a lot of choice. Like, they're going to act in a lot more primal ways, and they might do some pretty nasty things in order to try to meet their basic needs because they've been deprived. So you could almost see that as being more like the ant, like they've lost their ability to choose to some degree because they're desperate to meet their basic needs. And so maybe those basic needs are more primal, less choice-based, and then the farther up you go in this structure we're kind of hypothetically building of values, the more choice there is, perhaps? Maybe. The one thing that I kind of question is we assume that our basic needs don't play the same kind of, like, if I've eaten three meals a day, that my choice is, you know, like it, that my basic needs are met, like, now that's checked off, and now we're saying, well, that's not affecting my values up here. I mean, one of the things that I've found is that my basic needs affect me a lot more in my mood and how I view situations and thus make choices than I would have thought. I mean, working it, for those of you who know with FedEx in the middle of the night, I realized at a certain point I can't listen to anything I have to say at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you can say, <laughs> well, my basic needs aren't being met. But, but that's still that same sort of thing of like, how often do those small things of like, well, I haven't eaten as soon as I usually would in the day. You know, how does that affect our choices as we go throughout that decision to be, you know, short and snappy with somebody as opposed to, you know, more generous and understanding? Like, mm -hmm. those little micro things where you're like, no, I mean, I, I, get, I get sleep now and, you know, well, I get food. But maybe those small micro moments where our basic needs keep popping up and messing with our higher choices and values. So you're saying they do have an impact? And more I would, I would argue that like they that, do, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. not to hijack this too much more, but um, I know they did a study, it was like a Good Samaritan study, where they had a bunch of, you know, seminary students basically <laughs> give them a test, like, hey, are you going to help this person or not? And <laughs> major factors were how immediate was their situation they need to get to, because these people were put into, I'm in a rush to get to here mm -hmm. on time. And that became a part of the value valuation they're making of like, which is more important at the moment, like, and it, it had some funny results. I don't remember the exact results, but the idea that how much you maybe end up being a good Samaritan could be affected by how much of a rush you're in. So with that, the next thought is how do people's value systems get skewed? Like I feel like we have an issue where people's values may not even line up to maybe even their own needs because they're not aware of their own needs. Like, their like their values that could be um, breaking down relationships that would be a value to them. It could be, um, you know, taking away the opportunity to make a living, which would help with some of those basic needs. You know, these their value sets can actually be skewed to actually work against their needs. So what happens there? Why? What can we do about it? So you're kind of asking how, how do people like that get there? Or how do we get there when we're acting like that? Wait. 
Is there a certain amount of like retraining that has to go on? And isn't that kind of what therapy tries to do? Sometimes like rewiring so people recognize that mentally they've tricked themselves into thinking that a certain course of action will do something good, but it actually is doing something bad for them instead. And you have to like help them to become re-aware of that. I think the one thing that I wanted to, to say a minute ago was um, that I think there's these other things going on too. We talked about some of these primal values, but you mentioned like love and the social interaction and um, I don't know if you call it attention, but your self-value. And it seems to me like some of those things are driven out of that because people don't feel like people care about, care for them. And so it starts driving them down certain paths to try to seek value in their lives. They need to become important, so they start acting in certain ways to try and gain, um, quote-unquote, the approval or dominance over other people and things like that. Because some of the cases I'm sure that you see are because the, the kids don't feel that they have value, and, and so they're, they're either striking out or they're trying to get attention and things like that. Right. So it seems like we're, we're kind of talking about the fact that we have basic biological and emotional social needs that are like wired into our psyche, like who we are, how we're created, like our physical makeup effectively, um, that drives kind of a set of values that we can't really get away from. And we may have some personal deviations in how we then like play those values out, but if those deviations are not actually contributing to our real needs, then you know they actually become flaws or you know almost mental handicaps or disabilities in a way actually. Probably not the right term to use, so I apologize if that was not appropriately used. But, um, but to me, there's this other aspect that's interesting too. Like, I want to go back to the intrinsic value question um, because when we talk about competition, to me, one of the things that can drive competition is when you feel like you're worth more when you're better at things than other people. And one of the things that can counteract that is when you have a perspective where people's worth doesn't come from what they can do. So I think there's a maybe a, a suggestion of, like, do people have value just because they're people? And then there's also this community concept that we talked about in competition where if you're focused on the community instead of just yourself as an individual, that can be the value you promote, which maybe is a different way to look at this intrinsic value thing. But it's still, you know, the value is in the group of people, and is that because of their survivability, or is there something about a person or people that has value just because, and what gives it that value? Well, an interesting thought with the whole... Um, deviant behavior and um, values that are off-skew that fits into that is there are a lot of cases, at least for teenagers, where if someone's need for social acceptance and the love and um, social value is not being met, that is actually more of a primal need than things like um, food and shelter and other things. Like, like there are people who will starve themselves in order to get that social acceptance. Like, that's, that's a very common thing, actually, for teenagers. And so my, my, my thought in reply to that is that um, people have value because of, both because of who they are, but also as we have empathy for each other, then we are meeting those, those social needs, and we are building a community that, that um, then gives each person that value, and then we, we, we are meeting those needs and answering those 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 um, key challenges. And that really empathy and um, that community is actually going to be the answer to some of that to to those issues. Both the issues of competition and of these um, these miscued um, values that could even affect someone at the at a very primal level. It's really hard though and I, I think 
maybe it's some of the reason why that they end up getting skews because in terms of values that are based on uh, empathy or love or different things like that, you can't exactly win those for yourself. You can give those to other people, but you can't take them. Somebody else has to voluntarily give them to you. So it's it's not exactly the same kind of value in in a some respect as food because it's out of your control. Food you could win your own food if you have the ability to, but somebody else has to choose to love you. Although step one to the whole process of having empathy for other people is actually having self empathy which could be a basic part to that. I tend to think the idea that a human has a value just because they're a human is a little bit of an abstract concept that doesn't really mean a lot, aside from just an idea we like to throw out there. And where it immediately gets applied, though, that I think does then have real meaning is that we decide as a society to care about each person. So whether it's um, taking care of someone that's sick that can't contribute to society because they're disabled or you know, going through a difficult time and so therefore they're not positively contributing to that community, when the community is like, we're going to support this person and care for them anyway, that community is valuing human life. But it seems like it's a really abstract concept that I struggle with to just say that if you had a human alone on an island somewhere, that person would have value because they're human. I, I mean... I guess I've kind of seen it as, I don't really like the word intrinsic, because for the kind of the reason that you're saying, mm-hmm. that this abstract thing is low, you're like emanating value out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because, but it also suggests, I think when you say intrinsic, that like you, or like, let's say, let's talk about the, you know, I don't know, a chair, for instance, like the chair you're sitting on, say that it had intrinsic value, would say that it has like the same value for every single person. Well, right now it has more value to you than to any of us, you know, and that's because of the relationship between you and the chair you're sitting in. So I would say that instead of viewing everything as like almost like these, like I don't know, as all, instead of it like coming out of any individual person or object, the value I'd say it all comes from relationships and that network of relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I think about that person on the island, the only intrinsic value, again, intrinsic is an interesting word, but it's a word that we often put with value. And it is, like, really hard to understand outside of some abstract sense that this person is worth, you know, 100, whatever that means, just by nature of being themselves, you know. But the only value that person can have is what they can do, right, which is what we kind of recognize can become a negative perspective when you're focused on just the output of something. Well, I think the penultimate value is order out of entropy, and that is what every single other value strives from. And that's just, that's just, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, I'm sure you can find exceptions to that, but I mean, it, it really seems like, like in competition, you're seeking order out of entropy. You're trying to find your place in that pack. You know, whether you choose to find your place as the middle of the pack, not aggressively competing or whether you choose to compete aggressively, you're still doing the exact same thing. You're trying to index yourself. So what about art and things like the concept of favoring journey over destination? You know, we would say that 
we'd look at a three-year-old's drawing and say that it's not as good as a drawing by somebody that, you know, did something photorealistic or whatever. But we'd also then say that, you know, a work of art is a work of art. Picasso's art looks very different than photorealistic art. Mm-hmm. So is there something about just that expression of beauty that's novel, that has value, just because it's beautiful? I mean, I, I think that still comes back to your creating order. Like, the act of creating art is creating order. And I think the reason why we value humans more than other species, for example, is because humans are the most advanced life form on this planet when it comes to creating order out of entropy. I would, I guess, take a slight exception to to that reason for why humans value humans. I think it comes more down to the idea of distance and the relationship between things to each other, you know, either spatially or, you know, metaphorically or emotionally that, you know, it's almost like the idea of a border of, you know, the first thing that you care most about in general and what kind of defines the rest of your relationships is how you relate to you. And the next part is then, like, how you relate to your family, how your family relates mm-hmm. to the community, right. how your community relates to your state and then your nation. And there's, mm-hmm. You also see that with within a group, there are certain rules and certain, you know, passes for making things easier, certain communication and certain things that are known. And there's a certain security wall that kind of goes up when you get to that next other side of the border. And within that, you have its own, you know, relationships and stuff. But all those relationships kind of define those values. So, you know, for instance, how we value humans, it gets to that question of, like, well, who's my neighbor? You know, and we care more for our neighbors than we do for the people who are not our neighbors, you know. And how a person defines neighbor defines who they care about in a sense. Mm-hmm. and I think as far as like because the reason I take exception to you saying that because we're order you know we're the, the most advanced is that I doubt ants or you know others like if, if they have a choice between you know taking care of their own or eating you know, hu- you know eating human like they have no problem like we are in their way mm-hmm. you know depending on the situation I do feel like your, thing, but no, your comment, Daniel, about uh, making order out of entropy, to me, it kind of summarizes a lot of our thoughts working through biological needs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the whole thing of there is a real physical system yeah. that has a real sense of better versus worse. Like, things can be ordered or they can be disordered. Mm-hmm. You know, so that makes a lot of sense to me. It's a very concrete way to, to lean on some sense mm-hmm. of there being an absolute sense of value, perhaps, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, to me, the thing I struggle with, and it's kind of what I was trying to dig at a little bit, is, like, what do you do with that person that, hypothetically, this is totally hypothetical, so it makes it difficult, because hypotheticals are always just kind of made up and might not be real. But you have that person that can't really help society. You know, they're, they're disabled from birth, perhaps, you know, and they're not able to do what seems like it makes things more ordered. But maybe they love people in a way that nobody else does because they have a unique perspective on life. You know, you, you meet those people in real life, like real people, not just hypothetical ones. And usually they're really, really caring people that actually can really lift your spirit in a really unique way. So what is it about those people that actually provides a lot of value and or has a lot of value so that society should care about those people and not just kill them off because they're not providing value to our society, you know? I, mean, I think you kind of just answered your own question, though. <laughs> the value they give may not be material, but it is the team cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I think it's also protection against our own vulnerability because I think we all recognize that at any moment we could be vulnerable. So by taking care of the vulnerable people amongst us, it keeps the strong amongst us incentivized to continue being productive and being valuable members of society because they know that if something happens to them to where they're incapacitated, they'll still be cared for. I mean, that's more of a cold chemical look at it. Sure. When I know I'm coming across quite a bit that way. This well, it's, this it's, a real, thing, but <laughs> it's a real facet of the whole thing. But I, and I think that's what we're kind of struggling through is like how you get from it being about order and productivity to there being somehow, maybe it's that hierarchy again, you know, you were talking about earlier, where somehow you get from there to now this person isn't producing in society in a way you would typically look at. They're not making money, they're not building chairs, you know, whatever the case may be, but somehow they still are contributing things that are meaningful to mm-hmm. that community. So the community is better, relative term, but better because of that person still. I mean, I think, I think if we follow your chain of, like, the order, if we saw it maybe less of order and more of, like, existence, existence versus non-existence, and that if you kind of take that as the measuring, you know, but, you know, I, I think I think that maybe kind of helps mm-hmm. helps understand that. I think it's like another way of saying what you. And I think it's different facets of it too, because your mm-hmm. your position that you took is pretty fascinating. That that uh, proximity is a powerful driver when it comes to value. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we create these mm-hmm. these lattices of of relationships to ourselves, mm-hmm. and by necessity. Mm-hmm. The further you get from the center, for each person, value has to decrease in order in, in order for basic individual survival. Yeah, well, yeah, because I think like part of it's also like because you have to make choices, and if you're not able to make if you're not able to distinguish between one thing or another, you know, I think that's where distance can kind of come in as just the natural mm-hmm. thing of you know on a physical level, things that are closer to you affect right. you physically more than things farther away. Usually, you know, I mean. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the general kind of, you know, principle of that. Um, but then that kind of plays, you know, goes down the line, I guess, socially speaking. And I think you also have this certain idea of, like, emerging properties that we see where, you know, you go from, like, well, can I trade you things? Well, I guess, I don't know. It, it's almost like, so, like, social interactions are almost like an emerging property where all of a sudden, like, you may not be able to build a house or, you know, do the physical things that you were mentioning. Um, but if you're able to keep that team together to contribute on that other social level, that can be just as important and maybe even more important. But then I guess that gets us also to, well, if they are contributing something, is there an example of us helping out somebody who doesn't contribute anything at all? The question I would ask, though, is, is that really just a hypothetical? Is it possible that everybody would have something to contribute if we look for it? I think there's a demotivational poster out there. Like something like a, a, a sunk ship, basically. And it's just like, you have purpose. To warn others not to do that. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Your value is to be a warning sign. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> maybe a big treasure chest instead of you somewhere. Sunken <laughs> ships and treasure. So going from the macro to the micro, how do we develop values? Like, how do we influence our children to develop values that we feel are important? And 
when when you recognize in yourself that you have the deficiency of values, how do you change your set of values to bring yourself into line with the culture around you or the the network of people around you? I will say one thing I've noticed is that what you tell your kids is not nearly important as the how. Because you, you can see, like, I mean, you can even see, like, in church communities or something, or, like, you know, these social groups where they, they might all say similar things or almost the same thing, and you'd expect the results to all be the same, and they're not. They're not even close. Where do people end up? I would agree with that. I think that it is imperative that we create experiences where our kids and ourselves can experience the values and the value of the values. Um, and it's almost, for myself personally, it's almost been a journey of learning to reset feelings and emotions because I do think emotions are very connected to our value sets. So you can learn to let go of negative emotions and say, okay, yeah, this is just a temporary negative emotion and I'm not going to let this, you know, impact my value set and who I am. So recognize that this is just, you know, temporary and let it wash away and get into a mindset of, you know, that emotion is not what I'm going to dwell on. So that's not going to be attached to my to my value system. And then also creating those experiences for, for our kids when I, you know, since having a compassionate family is very important to, to me. I want to have compassion for my children. And then... Um, there is an amount of talking to them about the importance of compassion, yes. Mm-hmm. But the chief thing is, you know, showing it to them, giving it to them, letting them experience it, giving them opportunities to experience it with other people is really key. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's important, I guess, not to, not to get rid of the content aspect too much. Because that does, you know, that does matter. But it seems almost like the sticking point for it is in how it's delivered. Mm-hmm. The thing that I heard you talking about as well is um, being intentional, like about your emotions and stuff. Um, so I think of like mindfulness, but being aware, self-aware of yourself, you know, seems kind of like an important part of that. When we were talking about competition recently, um, we talked about having the perspective of seeing the bigger community, the team. You know, that negative things tend to happen when you're focused on yourself and comparing yourself to others as opposed to the team or the group or the community. You know, as you have those bigger circles that you're able to be aware of, it makes the interactions healthier. Um, so I think that's a big one with values. Like, it's really, really easy uh, physically as humans to get stuck focused on ourselves and our own needs and our own things. And as much as we can be intentional about seeing the bigger community, the family, the, you know, the bigger picture, it helps with that. I think the difficulty is that that's really, really hard for kids. Like, I actually think physiologically they have a hard time thinking at that higher level because they don't have the developed frontal cortex and all that. I think, I think one thing, though, that can be a pitfall for that is thinking that it's in either me or the community because you always have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I totally is, agree. The question is, like, what does that relationship look like? Because I think what you end up having is, like, some people will... You know, two people who act like the exact same way, in a sense, and like, oh, they're loving and they're giving, it appears, you know, to everyone. But one person can be full of a lot of self-doubt, self-hate, all that kind of stuff. And the other person, you know, is good with themselves. And 
that person who's pulled this stuff up and says, hey, the reason they're doing everything is not, you know, like they're almost thinking like it's about receiving something, filling something for them. And if that, if that, all that stuff that they've done outside isn't getting them what they really want, then you can have that person who does all the same things switch and go off a different route that you never would have expected except for they didn't have that firm foundation for why they did what they did. Yeah, let me clarify and follow up on that because okay. if, if you don't take care of yourself, then somebody else has to. You know, so I think even in terms of the whole community, like taking care of meeting your own needs is an important part of that. But I think that when we get focused on ourselves, what can happen is we meet our own needs at the expense of the community or others around us. You know, so when you're able to have that perspective where you're seeing the whole and your piece in it is a mm-hmm. key part of that, then you're able yeah. to make sure your needs are met, right. but do it in a way that furthers the community instead of at the expense of others around you. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking in something that you were saying um, about um, the two that might be siblings or whatever they're close, and, and it, but they seem very similar, but yet there's these in, internal differences. I was thinking that there's, people have this need for accepting themselves and valuing themselves. That seems like until a person has what they really need of that, this unquantified, how much do I need to be valued? They're always looking for that. You know, they're always trying to get that somehow. But it seems like once that somehow gets filled up, and I feel like I really now feel like I have the support and I'm loved. Then maybe it turns around to where they're now getting value by giving to other people. You know, like like maybe your cup has to get filled first at some level, and then you're able to give to other people and help them. And, and I was thinking that maybe when we were talking about kids and when you're disciplining your kids, mm-hmm. maybe it's a time to really talk through all of that with them, to sit them down. Discipline says we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what you're doing, identify your emotions, recognize that they don't have to be controlled by them, and start realizing the bigger picture of your emotions. Yeah, so making sure that their cup is filled seems like it's probably number one. Like I feel like I have some practical experience of that with dealing with my kids. <laughs> I think an interesting thing on that as well is asking ourselves, I don't know, like the question of like, okay, so it's like parents or siblings or stuff like that. What's the right amount of, I should, you know, I you know, provide the path, I show you the way, here you go, versus them figuring it out also. Like, because mm-hmm. there's that certain yep, right. level of, if I show you how to do every math problem, yeah, right. you know, there's a certain amount of, like, removing the struggle removes the learning. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like that's kind of that paradoxical situation of, like, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, with parents who's like, oh, they did everything for their kids. All right. And one turned out really great, and the other one, like, where, what happened with them, you know? <laughs> and, it, you know, it can come down to still that, the learning and growth. Mm-hmm. That has mm-hmm. to come from struggle, potentially. So that almost makes it maybe seem like the emotional support then is the most important thing. Like Josh was saying, make sure their their cup is full or whatever. Like you don't even really necessarily have to he- help them with the math problem, so to speak, as much as being there for them and kind of supporting them in the math problem. But it's ultimately up to them to solve the math problem because if you solve it, then I guess the question I would ask is if you focus on meeting a child's primal needs, their need to be connected, loved, fed, clothed, warm, will they naturally just develop a sense of care and giving to others? 
Or could you still have a child that all their needs are met, but they still somehow just get focused on wanting their needs to be met and, you know, having a good time and experiencing good things in life? This is also maybe what the reason struggle can be valuable and important mm-hmm. for that. At least one aspect of that would be how do you, you know, if you always feel like everything is met, like if you're always satisfied and you're, you know, like emotionally, like you've always felt the support, there's a certain amount of uncharted territory if you, once you get through life and you reach that inevitable moment when you don't have that support where that person who's always been good and always secure, you know, reaches that situation where it's like, oh my gosh, all the things that I've always relied on are mm-hmm. gone, you know, mm-hmm. or a good deal of them, or that one thing, you know. And maybe part of dealing with struggle can help. Almost like, it's almost like a vaccine. Like, mm-hmm. if you've got too much mm-hmm. struggle, it, you know, kills the kid. Right. You know, <laughs> if you don't have enough struggle... They don't know how to handle a situation mm-hmm. when you're not there. When that person who's, you know, who deals with the struggling that inevitably comes. Actually, I had another thought related to that too. That, that what you're saying actually uh, made me think of is uh, 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 the way I thought you were going with that comment at first was uh, almost wondering if you also need some amount of struggle to recognize then, uh, like to actually help you look outwards. So you can say, like, yeah. I've been through this type of thing. I know how hard it is. Um, so I can see when other people are going through something like that, um, see where they're at and understand the help that they need, maybe to some extent. So, like, if you don't have... If the kid never has any struggles in their life, they'll just be all about their their comforts and all that and they'll, they'll never see that the fact that other people have similar struggles or whatever. So what if you're in a place in your life where your needs just aren't being met? How do you deal with that and try to still um, contribute to society and be a positive, you know, participating member? Do you maybe just need to seek situations where you can be in positive communities? Because I think community is really where that comes from. Maybe, isn't it? maybe you do need to reach out and find somebody to connect with that can help you. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like community is really mm-hmm. where people's needs are met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that makes me think about that. Sometimes uh, your your emotional needs, to certain, like your need to connect, for example, I guess, almost like won't get met to some extent until you reach out to somebody and maybe show some vulnerability. Like if you're just sitting on the sidelines in a community, just kind of watching, just kind of hanging out there, you're never going to get that need fulfilled, really. You're just going to be, like, you'll feel the community a little bit, but... It's an interesting thing, like, needs drive us, you know? It's like, like one of the, the biggest things between a mother and her child is that the child needs food, <laughs> you know? There's that aspect. And then, obviously, there's maternal instincts as well that go into that, but at least you can see from the child's perspective, of, like, that's a very driving factor, like... They're always going to keep coming back because they need, they need that support and food. So why is it that people get stuck on the sideline and are afraid to open up and be vulnerable? Is it because they don't recognize their needs? Or does it go back to kind of the deviant behavior thing where they've been trained to fear that connection because they've been hurt too many times? That they're afraid to actually reach out for what they need because they don't want to get hurt again? So is the question then, why is vulnerability hard? 
Respect the question. That could be a good com- conversation topic. Vulnerability. Thank you for joining us with Life Connections today, where we invite you into community in our living room.